Um, so I'm going to introduce, we're going to do our, we're actually doing a relationship series, um, but it's two parts. The first part is, as you heard on Friday or you're about to read, is biblical friendship. And then the second part will be romantic relationships. Now, biblical friendship is going to be five weeks. So we're going to take our time really examining what the Bible says about biblical friendships before we jump into um, you know, romantic, if you, I don't know what you call that, romantic relationships. But it's important we do it in that order because the best route for having a biblical romantic relationship is to first have um, a biblical friendship. So Seth, Seth's sister and future brother-in-law have been biblical friends for like 48 years or something since they were tiny. And now they're about to get married. So it's a good example, but we're going to get into biblical friendships. So I'm going to tell you a little bit why we're doing this and why this is important to you. So the next slide, um, let's look at some numbers. Let's look at some stats. If you know, but you probably have some exposure to this, depression is at an all-time high, right? There's a lot of people experiencing suffering depression. Um, it's it's one-fifth or 20% of people claim or, or have said that they have suffered some kind of depressive or, or depression-like um, experience before age 18. So that's just before adulthood. A fifth of people feel depressed. Now, that's only the people who, these stats are only the people who are willing to fess up to it, right? Realistically, it's probably more like 40%, 30% at least, right? Depression is at an all-time high. Loneliness. I, I, when I think of loneliness, the only people that really come to mind are like um, really, really, really old people. Like my grandparents, when, when one grandparent would pass away and then there's just the other, other grandparent, I know that they were lonely. I'd go down and visit them and we'd just spend time together. And I know that, that was hard. But loneliness is actually far more common than just in, in that community. Um, two in five Americans, it's said, two in five Americans report that they sometimes or always feel, the, feel their social relationships are not meaningful. 40% of people, y'all, feel like their relationships are just kind of connections, acquaintances. That's what my students always tell me. I don't have friends. I have acquaintances. Well, initially, I'm like, shut up. You're stupid. But actually... That's probably legitimate, right? And one in five people say they feel lonely or socially isolated. 20% of people feel lonely. That's kind of wild. Lastly, um, suicide rates are on a steady rise and have been since the early 90s. The second leading cause of death among young people, ages 15 to 24, the second leading cause is suicide not some disease, not like, I don't know. I don't even know what causes of death there would be. But the second leading cause of death is suicide. That's, that's wild, right? And it's because, or, or in conjunction with that, overall, it is said by a guy named Michael Lindsay, who is a professor at BYU, said overall, nearly one out of five adolescents, so again, 20%, 
had said they are thinking about suicide, currently actively thinking about suicide, 20% between 1991 and 2017. So for almost 30 years, a fifth of the population of young people is thinking about suicide. That is wild. It's crazy. It's sad. And we know people like that. If we think about it, we could probably name a few people who we know have thought through those types of things. And so what I want to do is I want to submit to you that a crucial part of the solution for these alarming problems today is biblical friendship. So I'm going to do my best to stay in the video view and stay out of the way here, but I may have to move a little bit. So if I'm in the way, camera, um, internet people, just yell at me or something. So I want to submit that biblical friendship is part of the solution. So um, the question then becomes, if biblical friendship is the solution to these, these alarming problems, then how do you have biblical friendship? How do I get these biblical friendships? Well, the answer is fairly simple. By being a biblical friend, right? So I get biblical friendships by being a biblical friend. That's how it works. Proverbs 18.24 says, He that hath friends must show himself friendly. If you're going to have biblical friendships, you need to be friendly. So then the question becomes, if having biblical friendships is an integral part of our health and our success in life and ministry, we have to learn what it means to be a biblical friend. How do I show myself friendly according to the Bible? What does that look like? And so what we're going to do is we're going to allow God to conform us into biblical friends by looking at the lives and friendship of Paul and Barnabas. How many of you here and out there have heard of Paul and Barnabas? A show of hands. Most people in here, anybody, Paul and Barnabas? Okay, I see some hands. Yeah, Paul and Barnabas. We're going to look at their friendship in their lives and get some things about how to be biblical friends and and what that looks like. So this morning, we're going to look at three stories in the book of Acts. I'm going to to, um, dive into those three. Acts 4 is where we're going to go first, but I'm going to pray before we dive into that. So if you would, in your homes, in this room, let's pray together that God would have his way with our hearts and our minds, our friendships, and our whole lives. So let's pray. God, thank you for youth group. It's cool to see the people here in person, but it's also really cool to see so many people tuning in with us in the Zoom. God, we miss each other, and um, I don't think it's an accident that you led us to to examine friendship in this time where, you know, we're separated, and, you know, there are some, there are pockets of friendship still, um, you know, active, and people still hanging out some in a limited capacity, but God, we want you to grow us in our understanding, in our application of friendship, biblical friendship. So God, would you have your way? Would you let your word have free course in, in this room, in this time, in this setting? God, get me out of the way. Um, don't let me, don't let me, um, my stumbling lips, my inability, my, my weakness get in the way. God, you just have your way with us and, and let your word be clear to us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Acts chapter 4, verse 36 and 37. So if you turn there, it's at the end of the chapter. It says this. It says, And Joseph, Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, 
a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, so Joseph Barnabas, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So before we begin digging in and pulling out application for our lives, we have to employ a critical tool of Bible study. What do you think it is? Critical tool of Bible study. What do you think? Context. Joel Kilgore. Got it. Yeah, so context. We have to look at what is happening around this, this passage. So the church is just forming in the midst of a government and a religious climate that isn't interested in supporting them and seeing them succeed, right? The church is just just beginning to grow. So the church in its infancy, but strength, is pooling together all of its resources from each member. And the church in its earliest stage showed us an ultimate example of unity and strength. So everybody is, is sacrificing, everybody is giving to the church so that the, the church, the ministry can move forward. Does that make sense? So in steps the main character of this study. Paul is probably one of the most famous Christians ever, right? He wrote a majority or a lot of our New Testament, but the main, the main character of this study is actually Barnabas. Barnabas. So in steps Barnabas into this context of giving baby church. So he shows up to sacrifice, to give to the church. But even before we look at his actions of giving, we're confronted with our first key characteristic of a biblical friend. It's, it's through his name, the meaning of his name. His name, Joseph, means increaser. Barnabas, as the text tells us, means son of consolation. Increaser, son of consolation. You could mesh those together multiple ways, but the way we will do it, the way we'll put it together is Barnabas was a man who was all about increasing consolation. Who knows what consolation is? Anybody? Consolation. When I was in high school and swimming, I, I, I swam in the prelims, which is the preliminary rounds. And then if you don't make it to the finals, you make it to the consolation finals. What? What's consolation, Seth? Which means, he says, to console someone, which means what? Yeah. Exactly, right. Yeah, so if you lose the race, you get to go to the consolation finals, which is like, you tried really hard. That's good. You can keep racing, right? Um, it's, it's, it's to encourage, to comfort through encouragement, um, basically to, to bring someone from down to up, right? Using your words, using your actions. That's what Barnabas was about. He was an encourager. So key characteristic number one, a biblical friend is one who is for and supportive of his friends. A biblical friend is one who is for and is supportive of his friends. Now, I think this is one that we all pretty reasonably see. Like, yeah, I don't want someone who's mean to me to be my friend. Right? Are you mean? Are you an encourager? Are you for and supportive of your friends? Right? The Bible says in Ephesians 4.29 to let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So no corrupt communication, 
Only communication is going to build people up. There is no room for gossip, for words that tear people down, or self-promotion in biblical friendship. There's no room for it. So gossip, people who want to gossip and stir the pot and, and, and bring out all the drama and they want to talk bad about people, there's no room for that. In fact, you're annoying person who's all about gossip and stirring strife up. Nobody, nobody wants that, right? You don't want to be like that. There's also no room for self-promotion. The person who's all about themselves, ah, it's not biblical. It's not a biblical friend, right? So the call on the church here in Acts chapter four, but just as it is still today, was to give. Okay, the church is to be made up of giving individuals who form a giving body of members. So at the time, the church is like, hey, we we're going to call you. God's call on the church was come give. Let's move the mission forward. So in Acts four verse thirty-seven, this is Barnabas having land, sold it, and brought the money. In Barnabas's faithfulness and obedience to God, he gave, showing us our next characteristic. Key characteristic number two. A biblical friend is one who is faithful and giving toward God. A biblical friend is one who is faithful and giving toward God. Now, this is pretty significant. He, he sold land and brought the money like if the call in the church is to give man that's challenging if if the church is in need let's say after this this quarantine you know finances for whatever reason just get really really tight who are the people who are going to say you know what <laughs> is there not a cause we got to give I got to go get a job so that I can begin tithing and giving to the church. That's what Barnabas was about. He's faithful and giving toward God. So let's look at that. What does that really look like? Faithful and giving. In Proverbs 28, verse 19 to 21, we're going to see three different types of people. These could be three different types of friends. Number one, in verse 19, he that tilleth his land shall have plenty of bread, but here's the person we want to look at. But he that followeth after vain persons shall have poverty enough. A vain person, someone who follows after vain persons, right? Someone who's just about the nothingness of the world. They've got all the new, the new stuff, the new technology, the new clothes. They're after the things that are temporal that don't matter. There's that type of person. A faithful man, in verse 20, a faithful man shall abound with blessings, right? So that's your second person to consider. But he that maketh haste to be rich shall not be innocent. And to have respect of persons is not good, for for a piece of bread that man will transgress. The person who respects persons, who is subjective in his uh, love and care for people. Oh, I like Manny because he's got a cool hat, so I'll talk to him. Oh, but Josh, he doesn't have a cool hat, so I'm not really, you know, he doesn't have all the coolest cap wear. So, mm, you see what I mean? There's three people. Which is the one we want to be around? Manny, no, the faithful person, right? We want to be around the faithful person. We want to be the faithful man. Why? Because that man shall abound with blessings. I want to be a faithful man who's abounding in blessings. I want God's hand to be all over my life. And I want to be around people who are just like that. Not people who are 
pursuing vanities or people who are subjective in how they approach people. I, I want to be around and I want to be the faithful man. Here's the problem, though. We want to be around the faithful man, but Proverbs 20, verse 6, 6 says, Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. The faithful man, who can find? It's hard to find faithful men. Hard to find those people who are going to be faithful toward God. Whatever God calls me to, I'm, I'm there. I'm about it. That's hard to find, right? 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 says, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for, check this out, God loveth a cheerful giver. I want to be a cheerful giver then, because that's what God loves. Right? But also, if God loves a cheerful giver, I want to be around the people that God loves. I want to be around people who are cheerfully giving. Yeah? Okay. So we want to be that cheerful giver. We want to be around cheerful givers. We want to be around these faithful and giving people uh, because that's what a biblical friend is like. And we want to be faithful and giving. So let's keep moving here. The final part of this, this first story says in Acts chapter 4, verse 37, so Barnabas, having land, sold it and brought the money, and check this out, and laid it at the apostles' feet. That's pretty bold. Barnabas had great trust and submission to the apostles. So let's say, uh, man, things got tight around the church, and, and uh, we need a big giving donation movement. Well, let's say I've got this land I sell it. Let's say I have land that's worth $100,000. I don't know. I don't. Let's say I do. Okay? And I take that money. Well, I want God to use it, right? It's for the church. It's for God. And I just go and I, and I, and I put it in the offering plate for Pastor Sam to manage. Here's my $100,000. You take it, Sam. That'd be kind of scary. For me, I'd be thinking, man, $100,000? Think of all the things I could fix around the house. Think about the cool things that I don't need but I could buy because I have $100,000. Hello? That would be awesome. But Barnabas said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay this at the apostles' feet. I'm going to trust this to my spiritual authority to manage. I'm giving this money to the apostles. To God, to the apostles, right? To the church. For most people today, this is a great struggle. We want to have and do things our way. And when our leaders ask us to do something, if it were hard like selling your property and giving that money to the church, or maybe it's even as simple as, hey, obey simple truth from the Bible. Hey, join this ministry team. Hey, do this little bit of service. Hey, would you join the hospitality team? Hey, would you welcome people as they come into class? When, when our leadership tells us to do something like that, or maybe it's like, hey, be quiet, please, in service. When, members, when leadership tells us to do something like that, we get discouraged and hide. Ah, oh, man, someone's telling me what to do. I'm going to just wiggle my way out of this. All right? I want to submit to you that that is soft. And a key characteristic, the third key characteristic is, a biblical friend is one who is humble and submitted to spiritual authority. A biblical friend is one who is humble and submitted to spiritual authority. 
In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, not 7, 7, it says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. I remember, I'm glad Nate is here. I talked about Nate in the first service. When I came into the high school ministry to, to take over, Brandon went to Kaya. I went to high school. Um, at the time, Adam and Heidi and Josh and Jerry moved into the middle school. And I was a little bit, um, I was a lot bit intimidated because I was moving into this ministry where everyone is older than me. I knew them well, they were my friends. But it was like, I'm put into this place of authority over this ministry. And that's a little bit awkward because I don't really like telling people what to do or when they're wrong. I really don't like to address that, especially if I like them a lot, which I like that team a lot. And I was just intimidated. Ah, I don't want to be a leader over this new group of people. And Nate came up to me within the first couple of weeks. And he said, hey, Jeff, I'm submitted to you. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to get to work. I'm here to help you, support you, whatever you need. Let's do it. I was like, whoa, that was, that was helpful. <laughs> that was encouraging. Montana Rex came up to me and said, hey, Jeff, we're your people. We're submitted to you, man. Let's get to work. Whatever you need from us, you let us know. Whoa, okay, that's, wow. That was really encouraging. That was helpful. And they were being biblical friends to me. And so, uh, man, I want to submit that that's what we want to do too. Not because I want you to submit to me. Because I'm not going to be your spiritual authority forever. If you're in my ministry, unless you're an adult, if you're a student in this ministry, yes, submit to me because I'm your spiritual authority for four years. And then you move on. And you, you would be wise and it would be best for you to remain submissive and humble to spiritual authority because you will live a successful and blessed ministry if you approach ministry and life submitted and humbled before your spiritual authority. 1 Peter 5, verses 5 through 7 says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. So we're going to turn to our next story. Go to Acts chapter 9. Here is a perfect picture of biblical friendship. If you haven't seen this picture, you should probably just take a picture of it, post it on your social media. These guys are living out biblical friendship. Can you see that? Can you see who that is? This is Ernesto. And this is Gavin, and they're doing the prom pose. So, yeah, their 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 loins are girt about with the same truth. Yes, just saying. Got a great picture here, picture of biblical friendship. So, this is our next story, chapter nine, verse twenty-six to thirty-one. It says. And when Saul, or Paul, was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. So, so Saul, or Paul, he, he comes to Jerusalem and he wants to hang out with the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him 
and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen, how Paul had seen the Lord in the way and that he had, uh, and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out of Jerusalem. And, and he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians. So Barnabas is telling them that Paul did this. But they went about to slay him, which when the brethren knew, so the disciples, the church, they, they know this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. So before we dig in here, uh, we, need to, we need to employ our Bible study tool again, which is, what is it, Cody Wilbur? I'm looking right at you. What? <laughs> what is the Bible, Bible study rule? Um, your Bible. You need to have your Bible and prayer. <laughs> He said context. I heard it. So, yes, context, right? Okay, so what is the context of this passage here? Paul had just been saved, right? Paul gets saved and uh, immediately began preaching Christ in the temples. But when he was run out of town, he started preaching Christ, and then there's persecution, and he's run out of town, and his life was threatened. Some disciples help him to escape. But then he wants to join himself to the apostles, to the disciples, to the leadership, to the church. He's like, let me in. Hey, I want to be part of what you're doing. But they don't trust that he is genuinely saved and submitted. Why? Who knows why they don't trust him? Joel? Because he killed people. He was whooping booty. He was persecuting the church. He was taking people out. He was literally ruining their lives. It'd be like if some notable... Um, government official was like persecuting the church, just like wiping people out, not letting them hold services, destroying families, making them uh, pay huge taxes. It was just terrible. And then they get saved and they want to come to our church. And we're like, whoa, 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 because you definitely ruined my cousin Rico's life. Like, I don't know about all this. Right? Okay. Barnabas, however, witnessed this great change in Paul. He, he saw all these things that happened, and he wanted to be true to his name and encouragement, right? A builder up of brethren. So he wants to be an encouragement to Paul and the church. So Acts 9, 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Barnabas was living by the pastor best motto, whatever the mission requires. He was going to do whatever it needed to be done. Maybe Paul wipes me out. Maybe not. I believe he's saved. He needs to be part of the church. This new believer needs to be plugged into the church. So I've got to do something about it. I've got to go get him and bring him to the apostles, which gives us our, our fourth key characteristic of a biblical friend. It is a biblical friend is one who will lay down his life for a brother. One who will lay down his life for a brother. So, there's two people who were in need of a ride yesterday. And 
I, I had already written this and had prepared it and preached it to myself once, and I was like, I have to go get both of those people, right? One of them ended up staying home. I'm going to get him later, and the other one, we arranged it, and I brought him up here. Because I, I have to be a biblical friend who's willing to lay my life down. We all do, right? John 15, 13 says, Jesus said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus was talking about physically giving his life for his friends and that showed this ultimate love. But what about picking a friend up for church? What about, uh, what about doing something to help out a brother or a sister? Do you love them a little bit, at least enough to, to serve them in that way? Maybe you can't lay your life down for them by giving your life for them. I hope you don't have to. But maybe you can, like, when they come to church, make them feel welcome. How about the eighth graders who are coming up in the ninth grade? There are believers that are coming into the high school class. There are fifth graders going into the sixth, uh, seventh, and eighth grade class, middle school group. Are you going to lay down your life making them feel welcome, helping them out? I mean, I think we want to. Now, it goes beyond that. Barnabas goes and approves Paul before the apostles, but he wasn't only approving Paul for Paul's sake. He was actually facilitating the ministry moving forward. So once the apostles approve Paul, they send him away to Tarsus. They're like, okay, he's saved. Got it. Get him out of here, right? Let's send him out to Tarsus, thus relieving comforting, giving rest, and growing the churches in the regions where Paul had previously been persecuting. You see that? So the church was scared of him. Okay, cool. He saved. Well, let's get him to Tarsus. And now these churches are like, okay, we can take a deep breath. We're okay. Barnabas' actions are beneficial for Paul. But he also gets to move forward the ministry, not just even for the churches, but for us. Right? Think about all the churches that Paul planted. What if he hadn't been approved by the apostles? What if he hadn't been established in that local church? What if he wouldn't have been discipled? The Bible history would look far different, right? The New Testament would look far different. It would probably be the same. It would just have a different author. But you get my point, right? Barnabas facilitated a lot of ministry by going and getting Paul. So who knows, that person that you're willing to give a ride to church, that person you're willing to make, uh, to, to, make feel, to make to feel comfortable, however you say that, in our class, maybe they're the next church planner in 15 years. Who knows, right? Okay, so what has happened? He doesn't just stand up for Paul. He stands up for what's best for the church and the ministry. You see that? You may not have even known it. He stands up for what's best for his, his homie, but also for the church. Key characteristic number five is a biblical friend is one who has firm loyalty to God and his church. Firm loyalty to God and his church. And I think the contrast of that is the person who says, um, man, my friend is, is the closest person to me and I will stand up for them no matter what. I think that's stupid. I don't think you should stand up for your friend no matter what, right? Let's say Seth decides he wants to just be an axe murderer. Seth's my friend. I'm loyal to him. Blood is thicker than water, whatever that means, right? 
So he can do no wrong because he's my homie. Uh, that's not true. Because if he's, if he's trying to axe murder you guys, well, I'm not cool with that. Right? That's not what's best for the church and for the ministry. So here it is. I, we ought to, we ought to be wise enough, bold enough, loving enough to say, Seth, you need to stop killing people with your axe, bro. Proverbs 27 verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. I'll tell you, this is the hardest for me. I struggle to speak the truth in love because I don't want to have friction between me and anyone. I am soft. I am a big wussy. I don't like to confront you guys. I don't like to confront my friends with truth. When, when I see error or when I see things that we can do better together, I don't like it. I shy away from it. I'm kind of cowardly in that way. I'm just confessing that weakness to you. But I want to be able to speak hard truth to my friends because I love them and I want them to do the same for me. I want truth. I want loyalty to God and his church to be at the forefront of our motivation for our interactions, if that makes sense. Right? Not what's comfortable and convenient for us. So I got to keep moving pretty quickly because we're out of time already. So turn to Acts chapter 11. We'll get these last two characteristics here. Acts chapter 11, verse 25 through 30. So they send Saul or Paul away to Tarsus. Verse 25, Acts 11. It says, Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. So he goes and gets him later on. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Okay, so if you didn't pick up on that, you zoned out, that's okay. Basically, Barnabas gets Saul. They go to the church headquarters, right? Then there's a dearth. There's a a great need for relief. So the church headquarters, Antioch, sends Barnabas and Paul to go send relief down into Jerusalem. Chapter 12, verse 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they took with them John, whose surname was Mark. How many of you have heard of John Mark? So they go to Jerusalem, they're relieving the brethren there, and then they come back and they bring John Mark with them. Chapter 13, 1 through 5 says, There were certain in the church that was at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, those are your leaders, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I've called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. So they come back home. They're going about ministry, and in the midst of it, God calls Paul and Barnabas out of that church to to revolutionize their friendship and their ministry. They're going to go preach and plant churches, and they're bringing that guy John Mark with them. 
So, before they do that, right, they're in the midst of attending church, right? Before they get sent out, they've, they've come to Antioch. Barnabas gets Paul. And in the midst of that, their friendship develops in, a, in an outstanding way. Together, they're just ministering the word. They're just about discipleship. They're just attending church, growing in the relationship. And the friendship takes on an identity. They're in the church headquarters. What's the identity of their friendship? In Antioch. What were they called in Antioch? Christians. So they're called Christians first in Antioch. In the midst of them just doing ministry, they get labeled. They get an identity. So Christian means little Christ, which is a derogatory term made for the believers who are following Christ. So they're doing ministry. They're getting a little flack for it. They're growing in their walk with God, and it formed their identity. In the midst of them just doing ministry life together, they look up, and they're like, hey, we have an identity. We're Christians. This is who we are. We are Christians. We're not that. We're not just normal people. We have an identity based in who we are and what we're doing. Right? So key characteristic number six, a biblical friend knows who he is in Christ. Biblical friend knows who he is in Christ. And Romans 8, verse 14 to 17 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but check this out. But ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Hello? You are, if you're a born-again believer, you're a child of God. That's who you are. Do you know that? You're like, yeah, I know that. Okay. The person that knows who he is will know what he's going to do and not going to do. He knows what he's going to do and not going to do. For instance, I'm a teacher. I know what I'm going to do is I'm going to invest in my students. I'm going to teach them. I'm going to love on them. I know what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to go to their house and play video games with them. That'd be creepy, right? Okay, I know what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do. But as a child of God, I know who my father is. I know what he's done for me. I know what he sacrificed for me. For me. I know how much he loves me. So I know that what I'm going to do is I'm going to serve him. I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to obey his word. And I know what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to do what the world has to offer me. Because I know who I am. The person who doesn't know who he is will be open to experiment and try things that will absolutely harm him and the people he is with. So, once Paul and Barnabas have finished their ministry work in Jerusalem, they head back to the headquarters in Antioch. They bring that young man, John Mark, and it is there back at the headquarters that their friendship and lives really begin to develop, as I said, um, their future and ministry together. Acts 13, 2 and 3, it says, As they minister to the Lord, they're just doing the work. They're just ministering. And fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they are called and separated out to start their missionary journey together of preaching and planting churches. They bring John Mark and they're fulfilling God's call and purpose. They're doing what they were supposed to, what they were supposed to do. That's what they're made for. They weren't made for just anything. They're made for the missionary work that God is calling them to. 
You're not made to just go to school and get good grades. You're made to count and mean something for the kingdom of God. They see that. They're together. They're doing it. They aren't wasting time on, on pointless vanities, but rather giving all of their time and energy and life to the mission. And I tell you what, there are days and weeks with my friends that I am just, I get so pumped up about this last week. Man, Josh is planning and coordinating. He and Jerry are, are planning this event for Friday night and they're talking through and they're working and he's literally woodworking and building things. Nate is planning and coordinating a senior trip and he's like sending emails. I was having a blast. That was the most fun I've had all quarantine. Because we're doing what we were called to do. I would much rather do that than sit around and play video games. And I love video games. But I'd much rather do that. Because the key characteristic of a biblical friend, the last one, is a biblical friend is one who is purposed for Christ and nothing else. Play video games. Play basketball. Sit around and eat snacks and talk about stuff. I don't know what girls do. Whatever girls do. Do all of that shallow stuff. There is a place for that. Totally fine. I'm not preaching against that. But that is not what your purpose is. As a son or daughter of God, your purpose is to give your life to God and his mission. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. You're walking around, you're looking. Because you know time is short, it's limited. There are countless people, get this guys, there are countless people in desperate need of biblical friendship. We're doing this series not for you to feel good about how good of a friend you are. We're doing this so you can become a biblical friend and then you can go out and reach the lost world with biblical friendship because there's a need. If you don't do it, who will? Who's going to be a biblical friend to the lost world out there? People's lives, spiritual and physical, are literally at stake. They're literally on the border. Many people of just saying, it's not worth it. Nobody's going to reach out to me. It's not worth it. Whatever. Dude, that's what your purpose is, to get that person. Bring them into the fold of God. 1 Corinthians in closing, 1 Corinthians 15 and 16, 16 verse 15 and 16 says, I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, check this out, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. That's what they're all about. Nothing else matters, guys. What else is there but the ministry? What else is there? What else, man? I haven't found anything. And neither will you. This family, this house, addicted themselves to the ministry, and we should submit ourselves unto such, and to everyone that helpeth with, with us and laboreth. That's what we're called to. Biblical friends are addicted to the ministry. There's nothing more satisfying than investing the Word of God, investing love into the souls of men. Let's be biblical friends. Let's review them briefly, and we'll get out of here. Let's be biblical friends by being for and supportive of our friends, by being faithful and giving toward God, by being humble and submitted to spiritual authority, 
by laying down our lives for our brethren, by having a firm loyalty to God and His church, by knowing who we are in Christ, and by being purposed for Christ and nothing else. And that is a biblical friend, and that's a force to be reckoned with. That's a person that people want to be around, that they will gravitate toward. You will find yourself in a place where you feel rich because you have a lot of very meaningful friendships. That's how I feel. And I want you to feel the same way. And there's nothing better. There's nothing better. So let's pray, and then we'll get out of here before we get kicked out. Okay, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for laying it out for us, outlining what it looks like to be a biblical friend and what we should be looking for as, as, we, as we attach ourselves to our, to our friends. God, give us wisdom to both be and find biblical friends for your glory. And we just ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.